Tonight the cross is draped in purple because it is awaiting the arrival of royalty. Tomorrow night it will be black because three hours prior to the service tomorrow night, the Lord Jesus Christ will have given up the ghost upon that cross. Sunday morning it will be white as Jesus Christ has achieved the victory. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou wast slain. And it's purchased for God with thy blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Dear God in heaven, we know it is impossible for us with our human minds to grasp fully or perhaps even in a small way the amazing thing done for us on Calvary, or even, Father, the amazing night in which Jesus established for us the Lord's Supper. The Lord, to the degree it is humanly possible, we pray by your Holy Spirit that this might be a night in which we experience your presence. The cross is real, the upper room is real. So, God, we submit ourselves to you, that your will might be done. Through Jesus, amen. What a marvelous truth we find in John 3.16 and 17. This, of course, is the theme of this weekend, isn't it? Let's recite that together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Let's stand together and sing a testimony here as love. Here is love. love cannot 
still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ the next day John saw Jesus coming to him and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How marvelous that we do not have to reach any particular point of perfection. We come to God just as we are. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was Oh 
Tonight we are here within our imaginations to relive an incident that took place 1,987 years ago. And that event itself was commemorating an event that had taken place 1,477 years prior to that which we commemorate tonight. I'm sure all of you know about that earlier event. Because Pharaoh's hardened heart had refused nine times to respond to God's cry, let my people go. And then a tenth time he refused to do that. Jehovah decreed, that the death angel would pass over Egypt, and in every house, in every stable, in every field, both of man and beast, the firstborn would die, except in the land of Goshen. For Jehovah had said to his chosen people, the Jews, on this night, Slay every household a lamb, a year old, without blemish. Take some of the blood from that lamb and with a hyssop spread it on the lintel and the doorposts. Now on this night don't leave your house. Because in that night when the death angel passes over the land, he will not cause death in any house that has the blood upon the doorpost and the lintel. And then God decreed that throughout their generations, every year on the 14th of Nisan by a lunar month, the Jews were to participate in this ceremony, giving thanks to God and remembering how he established them as a nation. And so it was on that night that the episode which we ponder this evening took place. It all began on a spring afternoon. Jesus and his twelve disciples were in Bethany. And long toward the end of the afternoon, Jesus said to two of his disciples, Peter and John, Go into the city, go into Jerusalem, and as soon as you enter the city, you'll see a man walking along carrying a pitcher. Follow that man. Follow him until he comes to the house that he is journeying toward. And when he goes in the house, follow him. Go right in and say to him, The master wants to use your guest room tonight as a place to celebrate the Passover feast. And they did as Jesus instructed and as Jesus had anticipated and told them. The man took them to his guest room, showed it to them, and they then busied themselves the rest of the afternoon preparing for the Passover. They had to buy bitter herbs. They had to buy wine. They had to buy unleavened bread and something to represent the Paschal Lamb. That evening, they returned to Bethany, and then Jesus and the twelve, thirteen of them, traveled to Jerusalem to that house 
and entered the upper room. Now, to fully understand the events that took place that night as we begin to describe them, we need to understand what it was like to eat a meal at biblical times. If you've seen the beautiful painting by Leonardo da Vinci of the Last Supper, you see Jesus seated in the center and the various disciples in their positions on either side. But that painting is flawed because it has them sitting in chairs at a table, as would have been done in Milan, Italy in the 15th century. In Bible times, it wasn't that way. The table was quite low. And around the table, there would be a series of couches. And each diner would have a couch, and he would recline up on the couch and put his elbow resting on his left elbow and with his right hand would eat. That's the manner in which this night these men partook of the Lord's Supper. Although some of our more newer translations do not always render the word, but both Mark and Luke and then John also describing that night describes the disciples as reclining. The Greek words are used, two different Greek words, both mean to lie down or to recline. They reclined upon the couches as they partook of the meal. It's important to understand that as we begin to follow the scenario throughout the night. Now Peter, being the aggressive leader of the apostles, would have naturally expected to take the seat of honor at the table. If we look at the table from the ceiling and look down upon it in a counterclockwise fashion, the chief guest would have occupied 10 o'clock. The second important seat would have been at 11 o'clock and then at 9 o'clock and all the way around the table until finally the lowest seat. Jesus, being the honored guest, would have taken 10 o'clock. And Peter assumed that he should have 11 o'clock because the manner in which conversations took place intimately, one would lean back upon the breast of the person behind him and speak over his shoulder and they would have conversation. But evidently, as we notice the way things played out, Judas took the seat that Peter thought was his. And so immediately there erupted the emotion of confusion. Tonight we're going to see many emotions in this room. And the first one is jealousy. It is an ascending spirit. It is bitterness. It is being offended. And controversy arose as to who really is the most important in our band. Jesus had already reclined upon his couch. Judas, no doubt, had taken Peter's normal place, and Peter was angry. Jesus rose from the couch. Now, in that culture, because the streets, the roads, the paths were unpaved and they were dusty, when one came to a house as a guest, the host himself or a slave honored the guest as soon as the guest reclined upon a couch, he took a bowl of water, a basin of water, and a towel and washed the feet of his guests. But in their anger, in their controversy, no one of them was going to wash anyone else's feet. Jesus rose from his couch, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel about himself, went over to the side and took the basin of water that had been supplied for that purpose. And starting with Judas, counterclockwise, went around the table, washing everyone's feet. Last of all, they came to Peter. Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part in me. And then Peter, oh, wash my face and my hands too. <laughs> Jesus said, Peter, you don't understand. You took a bath before you left Bethany. You're already clean. The only thing that's dirty is your feet. <laughs> I'm washing your feet. 
See, Peter tried to turn it into a religious ceremony, but Jesus was making a point. He said, what I have done for you, you should do to one another. The Lord had washed the feet of his disciples. Thinking about that, we recall what Paul wrote to the Philippians, that nothing should be done from envy or conceit. But let each one of you esteem his brother as being more important than himself. That was the lesson of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The second emotion that night is described in John, which says Jesus became very troubled in spirit. And he said, one of you will betray me. No doubt there was grief as he said those words. For these 12 men had been with him for three and a half years. They had walked the dusty roads together. They had sat by the campfire together. They had faced the enemies and the challenges together. Yes, they had even, used, no doubt, used a latrine together. They had been buddies, dear friends. But one of them was going to betray him. And the pain within him was so great, he had to speak it. Tonight, one of you will betray me. And around the room, they began to ask, Who, who's going to do it? Is it I, Lord, whatever. John, next to Jesus, Peter, all the way across the table, began to gesture to John. John, find out who it is. Find out who it is. John leaned back on Jesus' breast and whispered in his ear, Who is it? And Jesus said in a voice that only John could hear, It will be the one for whom I dip a morsel and hand it to him. That's the one. And Jesus dipped a morsel and handed it to Judas and then quietly said to Judas, What you do, do quickly. Judas immediately got up and left. Now, the apostles didn't hear this exchange, and they thought, well, Judas is a treasure. He's going out to buy some more supplies. But in truth, he was going out that night to rendezvous with the enemies of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver in about an hour or two later in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would walk up to Jesus and kiss him, thus identifying him as the one the soldiers should arrest, take to trial, and ultimately crucify. Peter said, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll even go to death for you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, Satan has requested the right to sift you. But I have prayed for you, and I have prayed for your faith. Lord, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows three times, announcing the dawn tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And then Jesus quoted a portion of Zechariah, 13.7, the shepherd is slain and the sheep will be scattered. All of you will fall away. Sobering thought. No doubt the emotion they were feeling then was consternation and perhaps even fear. Jesus then took the first cup 
blessed it, and said to them, Partake of the fruit of the vine. I'll not partake of it again with you until in the kingdom. And thus the Passover feast began. At some point in that feast, and we can't be certain exactly when it happened, Jesus took a piece of unleavened bread and broke it. And he said, this which is broken for you is my body. All of you eat of it. Don't you know that caused confusion? Your body? We wonder if when he said that, they remembered the event that had happened about two years before. When after he'd fed the 5,000 and crowds were coming to him, Jesus said, you're not coming to me because of miracles or signs. You're coming to me because of the bread I gave you and you want some more bread. And then he launched, in John chapter 6 we find recorded, he launched the sermon on the bread of life. He said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. Unless a man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, you have no life in you. But he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. The enemies of Jesus, is he telling us we're supposed to be cannibals? Even the believers work it. What does that mean? You wonder if those statements of Jesus echoed in their minds that night when now he said this unleavened bread that I have broken for you and blessed is my body. All of you eat of it. And then the meal progressed, the second cup. The last cup was called the cup of the blessing. And as they came to the final moment of the Passover, Jesus picked up that cup And instead of the familiar liturgy, he said, this is a cup of the new covenant in my blood. And that really would have been confusing to them. And here's why. It was the custom for a man who wanted to be betrothed to a woman or have a woman betrothed to him. He would approach her with a cup of wine. And he would offer it to her. If she took the wine and sipped from the cup, that meant she now was betrothed to him and it was viewed as a blood covenant. The cup represented a blood covenant between the two betrothed individuals. That's the language Jesus used as he offered the last cup. Don't you know that confused them? How could they understand that? But for us, we know the church is the bride of Christ. And we are a part of that bride. And every time we take the communion cup in our hand and sip, we are reaffirming our betrothal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a staggering thought? And yet that's the language that Jesus used. And so the evening progressed. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Jesus spent 40 years, or 40 days rather, with various ones and teaching and instructing. And then after the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, Much of this which was confusing was understood. For Jesus had said when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll cause you to remember everything I said to you. He'll cause you to understand things that I said that you didn't understand. And not only that, he'll give you revelation for the church. And so with that understanding and obedience to Jesus' command... They went forth to make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things 
whatsoever I had commanded you. You see, Jesus in that night said, do this in remembrance of me. And so as the apostles went forth preaching and churches were established in every place, they were taught, they were instructed concerning this command. It is the command of Christ for you to partake of the loaf and the cup, which came to be called the Lord's Supper. A sobering event. Some years later, the Corinthian church had begun the practice of having an agape feast. An agape feast was sort of like an all-church-covered dinner. (laughs) They got together and ate together as an expression of love. And in time, they began then to incorporate the Lord's Supper into that feast. And they were not with sobriety and solemnity and reverence partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he scolded them, don't you have houses to eat in, and so on and so on. And then he spoke these words with this rebuke. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, being the last cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drank the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Therefore, he who ever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and they'd been doing so, they'd been partaking in an irreverent spirit, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drank over the cup. Over the centuries, sincere and devout people have pondered and tried to explain the essence of the Lord's Supper. Some, as you know, say that when the prayers are offered over the elements, They become the very flesh and blood of Jesus. There are others who say, well, it's just a memorial, just something to remind us of what Jesus did for us. I'll have to admit, over the years I pondered, what is it? in my view, for what it's worth. (laughs) In some way, Christ is present in these elements. By faith, when we partake of the unleavened bread and the cup, we're encountering him, our God. Exactly what that means and how Perhaps is something for each one of us personally. But this is a sobering, most serious thing we can do. And our Lord has determined that it be a part of his church regularly, week by week. One thing of certain, we are showing the Lord's death until he comes. And by doing that, we are declaring our faith in the cross. We trust it. We know without a doubt that someday all of us will walk the streets of heaven together because all of us trust the cross of Jesus as the atonement for our sins. 
we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, tonight, again, there just aren't words for us to adequately thank you. That you in your sovereignty and in your great love, you desire to have humans with you in heaven. And because we are a fallen race and nothing sinful or unclean can come into your presence, that is and has been impossible until you did something about it. Again, Lord, we cannot even fully understand how Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin in our stead. And yet we know it is true. Oh, God, thank you. We ask tonight that your blessing will be upon these elements. And, oh, God, in the beauty that only you can give, may we meet you. Through Jesus, amen. I ask the three elders who will be offering the Lord's Supper tonight, if you'd come to the foot of the cross, where I might serve you the Lord's Supper prior to your going to your stations. There will be two prayer teams. We have two prayer stations here. So we ask the prayer teams, if you would now, to proceed to one of the tables to receive the Lord's Supper. And as the musicians play reflective music, as you are led by the Holy Spirit, please receive the body and blood of our Lord. Amen.
having declared the assurance of salvation that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ, let's stand and give testimony to the fact that because of that, it is well with my soul. Would you stand and sing with me? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like the sea billows the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are dismissed. We ask you to leave quietly. There will be some who will want to remain for a season and meditate upon the cross. May God be praised.